This is a Media Lab podcast. Just one more round, friend. Then homeward bound, friend. Dave, are you are you watching the Star Wars Christmas special? Is that what this is? I thought I was having a stroke. I, uh... You would think so when you both have Jefferson Starship and B. Arthur in the same television program. And it can seem like a, a weird fever dream that you're in, but it, uh, it is a thing. It is a real thing. I was uh, sitting here and, uh, and then I just I woke up right now. I'm not sure what's happened. I feel like what you're trying to do is you're trying to watch something so bad that our movie this week is going to seem maybe a little bit better in comparison. I just remembered what we have to watch. I said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, fuck you, machine. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen. This monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle and Dave versus versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. I'm Dave. And I'm the machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. But today, we're going to be watching the film Star Wars, Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Don't do it. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell him to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I think Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. We should not do this. <laughs> we should not do this. We should not well, do this. Well, we will do not that. I think it is by law that we actually have to refer to this movie with its full, complete title every time we speak of it. <laughs> so, yes, it is Star Wars. Episode one, the Phantom Menace. There is there even a Phantom in it? All right, let's let's just get. This I want to get to that. I actually want to get to that <laughs> specifically because that might be the most bonkers thing about this entire movie. Uh, Dave, what is your relationship with Star Wars Episode One, the Phantom Menace? I hate it. I will always hate it. Uh, no matter what we have to do from this oh, point on. Oh, so you're on. familiar with the film then. You're familiar <laughs> with this film. <laughs> uh, I will not, never refer to it as a film. I'm trying to remember, I think that, uh, you know, the lead up, because Star Wars and Empire and, the, and Return of the Jedi are formative events, particularly of people of my generation, of my ilk. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Return of the Jedi actually was the first movie my dad took me to in the theater and we had to leave because wow. I got so scared I was crying. Because I think uh, I might have been, it was at 84, I would have been six. 
Jedi was 83. 83. It is the year of my birth. So, been, um, so I was too young to have gone and seen it. To, to, were you alive yet? I was five. I, I figured this out. I was born five weeks after it opened. Ah, uh, so no. Uh, so so I, no. you were still gestating. Um, I was gestating, yeah. <clears throat> by the time this started, uh, the hype started building up. Now, I, I need you to correct me if I'm wrong, but were the horrible, offensive reconstructions of the original films already out before this came out because i remember the hype for this thing was like toronto was melting down the idea yeah, I, that george lucas would mm -hmm. come back to this people were having fucking aneurysms like we were everybody was losing it i can't actually remember the order of events to be honest because i remember that a few years before this the quote-unquote special I don't even know if it was the special editions, but like the original trilogy came out on VHS and that was like this huge deal. I remember my parents getting them and that was the first time that I watched Star Wars. And then th this movie came out and I want to say then the special editions for those films came out just after that on DVD for the first time. And then it was impossible to get like the, the original, original New Hope without any of the alterations. You can't even get that on Disney Plus. Like you cannot get what the original New Hope looked like. I'm sure after... George Lucas is gone that they'll be unearthed. Is that a little more possibly? Uh, possibly. I miss... It depends. Like whoever takes over like the trust of Star Wars, I guess at that point. Oh, although it's Disney, so fuck who knows. But yeah. <clears throat> you know, I want to see the square cutouts around the Tie Fighters, right? I mean that that's what what made that movie so impossible. I mean, you know, we recently watched the original, the correct uh, Star Wars movies, um, the ones that I will acknowledge, and even the opening sequence. Just watch with Emerson. The scale of that model they built in the opening sequence with the Star Destroyer, to think of that in 77, like it's just, just it's leave great. it alone, I mean, I agree. man. It's great. Just leave it alone. It's, um, I, I actually don't even mind, honestly, like the touch-ups and stuff like that. I actually have a big deal with them just adding scenes, scenes. with digital characters. Yeah. I'm like, you don't need this. You like don't. Anyways. baby Jabba. Come on. We are straying completely off the point here. Be better than um, that. What I really want to say is that 1999... For those of you who are maybe not around yet or don't remember 1999, this was like the biggest freaking thing yep. in the world. Like Pepsi had Star Wars on it. Doritos had Star Wars on it. It was everywhere. It was in every commercial break. It was in front of every movie that was promoted. Like it was everywhere. George Lucas was coming back and doing something that no one thought was ever going to happen. A continuation of the Star Wars franchise. Like, people were losing their minds over this. My recollection is, I think this might have been the first movie where people lined up for days to buy mm -hmm. a ticket in costume. It was like they had resurrected John Lennon and the Beatles were going to do a reunion. Like, I've never seen yeah. an entire, and it wasn't just the nerds or like the, you know, cosplay people. Like, the whole world had a collective fucking mind fart because uh, <laughs> after this thing happened... Much yeah. like Y2K. There was a lot of questions, man. I know. Like, it's, it's, um, there has been a few movies since then that have probably gotten close to this level of buzz. Uh, I truly don't know if anything has ever topped it, though. Like, to just the, uh, the amount of, like, we need to see this in our veins, like, it, right now. Anticipatory. I mean, you know, yeah. there are bigger films, et cetera, like overall, yeah, yeah. but yeah, the lead up, my God. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was. I would have loved to have been in a theater in the opening night for this, honestly, because one of my favorite things was actually Force Awakens, watching Force Awakens opening night, because I always describe it. This is literally what I remember. 
was like, lights go down and you get that thing. It's like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. John Williams. And there's always this like little bit of a pause, right? Before the John Williams scores, the amount of electricity that started bubbling up in that auditorium, in that film, uh, in that theater was off the page. Like I could just feel it. And then it's like, Boom! Like that hits, and like people are like, blah, screaming, like, like just screaming and like clapping. Like this is cool to, to be a part of this. It was palpable, Palpatine. Mm-hmm. No, we want, we want Palpatino. Yeah, um, I love, I love that sausage. By the way, Palpatino. Oh, there's sausage in this movie. I um, I don't, I couldn't get opening uh, tickets because I wouldn't line up. You know, for the mm. three or four days. But I did. I see actually this did thing. not see this movie in theaters. I by did. the way, this, this was a DVD. Uh, rental or purchase i think after it came out this is why i'm so bitter kyle things like this is what jade me that uh Mm -hmm. i could go into a theater i mean movies weren't nearly as expensive as they are now but i could spend whatever was eight dollars of my hard-earned money and walk out and just be broken you know just (laughs) my whole life shattered yeah, I think some people did um, try to pretend that this was a good movie for quite a while. Like there was that consensus of like, how could George Lucas go wrong? This is a good movie. There's people who went and saw it like 20 times to try and like overtake Titanic as being like the largest grossing movie of all time, which it didn't do, by the way. Um, Titanic still made overall more money, but the, like this was a thing. It was a cultural touchstone. Like the Matrix had come out a few weeks before and then this hit like it was just off the page like i said before of of what what it was like 99 um but let's not delay the point anymore let's go and watch this movie no, dave no. we'll thank some sponsors and then when we come back we'll be talking about star wars episode one no the phantom menace no well hello there once again i know that you are exceedingly interested in knowing what dave and i think about star wars colon episode one dash the Phantom Menace. And we're going to get to that very, very soon, but we're going to take some time right now to thank some sponsors that help make this show possible. As always, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Storylines, a podcast from Women in Film and Television, Alberta. Storylines highlights some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter is herself a filmmaker, and she has had some deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. A recent episode that you might find interesting is her recent conversation with Alexandra Lazarowicz, who's a documentary filmmaker who tells these unique and impactful stories through her films. So you might have heard about her documentary short Cree Code Talkers, uh, but there's also another short that she did called Fast Horse which followed the Siksika Nation Indian Relay team as they made their debut at the Calgary Stampede. You can find storylines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to wifta.ca. Wifta is spelled W-I-F-T-A dot C-A. Wifta.ca. Our other sponsor this week is Pod Power. With Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This week, we're giving a Pod Power shout out to Rural Roots to Climate Solutions. 
Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is a podcast that dives into agricultural practices that are both good for the farm and good for the climate. Hear about the farmers, ranchers, scientists, industry experts, and regular people in Alberta who are leading the way in good land stewardship and reducing agriculture's carbon footprint. You can find Rural Roots to Climate Solutions wherever you get your podcasts or at rr2cs.ca. That's rr2cs.ca. All right. Let's go and see how mad Dave is. Ha! Well, we did it. That was... It was a movie that we just watched. Well, I think there's blood coming out of my tear ducts. That was my plan all along. I... If you had told me, by the way, before going into this, and I've seen this movie multiple times, but this is the first time I really paid attention to the pacing, I think, more than anything... If you told me that the pod racing scene happens and there's still over 50% of the movie left to happen, I would have called you a liar. And yet, that's the truth of it. I think I remember texting you while we were watching this together. I know. It was weird that you were texting me while we were watching this together at the same time. And I just, I mean, I, there were so many moments in the hour and a half preceding uh, the pod race where I wanted to just turn this off and restart my life. Uh, but I think I texted you, let me read this, uh, that it was unreal, it was like being stuck in limbo, that there was no end, that even when it does end, your mind is trapped there, echoing agony into the infinite. It's, uh... And not a lot of people know that, but that is actually a direct quote that appeared on the poster <laughs> after the first week uh, from you, David Yun. You, yeah, you would... Uh, show up and there would be this big sign says uh, you will regret this star wars episode one the phantom menace and underneath you will regret <laughs> you will regret. all right <laughs> uh well let's get into some back history here uh, star wars episode one the phantom menace was released may 19th of 1999 as you might suspect being it being everywhere no other movie released that week because they kind of knew what was up uh, it is currently rated 6.5 on what? IMDb. What? 51 on Metacritic. What? And then on Rotten Tomatoes, 53% of critics thought it was good. 59% of users thought. Technically, on Rotten Tomatoes, that is a rotten movie, though, because you have to get 60% in order to attain a fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. How? What? Mm-hmm. This? What? Oh. You have to remember that like an average film on IMDb is like a seven. So anything under a seven is actually kind of bad because that means that more people are trending it down to be less than that. So it is so it is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can rent it via YouTube or Google Play Movies. And in Canada, you can also stream it on Disney Plus. Its budget was one hundred and fifteen million dollars. Uh, huge at the time, just absolutely huge. By the way, remember that I think The Matrix was $80 million that they made that movie for. So just have that as a basis when you go and watch this movie. Like Anyways. One looked good. It opened to $64 million, which again was like gigantic uh, at the time. Domestically, it would go on to make $431 million. Internationally, it would pick up an additional 493 bringing its grand total to $924 million with inflation that is $1.4 billion that this movie brought in in 1999. Uh, Like I said, though, still not enough to knock Titanic off of the number one grossing movie of all time. 
I just feel like if they made that much money, I, well, my wife's blending something. Well, we'll see if that comes up. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like she's if, blending your tears <laughs> of having watched this movie. I just feel like if they, I just feel like if they made that much money, I, I want my $8 back. I, I just, I, you know, like it's a drop in the pond and I feel like I should write Lucasfilms a letter, Disney now, and just explain my case. To Lucasfilm, care of Disney. With inflation, with inflation, 10. Which is $1 million, actually. <laughs> the plot description is, two Jedi escape a hostile blockade to find allies and come across a young boy who may bring balance to the Force, but the long dormant Sith resurface to claim their old glory. That's actually a pretty good synopsis. You know, if you read that yeah. without having watched this movie, it's, it sounds pretty exciting. Uh-huh. It doesn't tell you that you're going to suffer <laughs> Like PTSD <laughs> that, for that the rest true. of your life. Yeah, it stars Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi. Such a good actor. Liam Neeson as Qui Gon Jinn. Also a great actor. Qui Gon Jinn. Sorry, uh, Jake Lloyd as Anakin Skywalker and Natalie Portman as Queen Amidala. And Natalie Portman's great. I mean, this cast, mm. Kyle. How how do you do this? Yeah. So Natalie Portman was born June 9th, nineteen eighty one. Her first film was in. Leon, the professional in 1994, when she was only 12 years old. Unfortunately, the experience would ultimately not be great. She has described in interviews how older men would send her fan mail that would be graphically explicit as to what they wanted to do with her. And so she has continued to keep fans and others at an arm's distance, which she says makes it seem like she's cold or uncaring, but it is really to just protect herself. This is why the digital SNL shorts are so good. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She would go on to be in both. I actually almost, I mean, the machine almost wrote that in the description. <laughs> it told me that they wanted to put in her appearance in the digital shorts. Uh, she would go on to be in both Heat and Mars Attacks before being swept up in the Star Wars universe. Uh, but she has continued to be in major films, Zoolander, Cold Mountain, Garden State, Closer, V for Vendetta, and Black Swan. For that film, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. She would eventually be cast in another huge universe, Marvel, as Jane Foster in the Thor franchise and then later in Avengers. She has not been afraid to try non-commercial film roles as well as trying to work with as many women directors as possible. Next up is Thor, Love and Thunder, where she'll be returning as Jane Foster, but also will be playing Thor, and that's not a joke. She's going to be the the female Thor that appeared in the comic books for a while. Like I love Nicole Kidman. Leon is... I mean, I haven't watched it recently, but this is one of my... Sorry, why are you bringing up Nicole Kidman for the Nicole professional? I, I used to, you know, I love uh, Natalie Portman, and uh, Leon is one of my favorite, favorite films from mm-hmm. that era. The Uncut, too, because uh, it's a lot of inappropriate... More And the relationship is depicted as Luc Besson and a French pedophile. Right, right, right. Pedophile. Uh, you know, uh, wanted it to be depicted, which, I, you know, it, it makes sense that she not only is sexualized in the film, but, you know, has this legacy of yeah. being, but uh, I mean, not to take this completely on a different tangent, but just bring because you brought up like French filmmakers. Have you heard of a film called Portrait of a Lady on Fire? No, came out last year, very highly regarded. It's basically this uh romance between uh two women, so it's this lesbian romance, uh, like a hundred or so years ago. One's a painter, anyways. I liked it a lot, so I decided to check out that director's other film work, and she has made these other three films. All three of them happen to be on the Criterion channel. This one called Tomboy, stars what I am assuming is a 12-year-old girl who gets fully nude in it. I'm like, oh, that's happening right now. I was not expecting that to happen. It's art. Art. It's art. 
I guess. It's cultural. Just cultural differences. Cultural yeah. differences. Um, but I, I, I just wanted to say, I, I don't, I mean, the original Thor, it was great to see her in. I, I don't like her in the Marvel universe and mm. I don't understand, I don't understand it. Quite, yeah, I'm actually a surprised she even agreed to be in it in the first place, to be brutally honest. She, I, I do feel the kind of the same way. I've never been a huge fan of the Thor franchise, to be honest with you, even as a big Marvel fanboy. It, they're like my least favorite, kind of tied with the Ant-Man films. Where I'm like, I could never see these again. They'd be perfectly fine, to be honest. Uh, but she uh, seems like aggressively miscast yeah. in mean, those films. How is she going to be a female Thor? I mean, again, not to hate on her you know, uh, as a human being, but she's tiny. Right, like there's some scenes where she's walking beside uh, chunky uh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, yeah. He, she comes up to like his elbow, you know. And he, he, like talking about Miss Cass, it's not her acting ability; she's amazing um, and so uh, strange and unique. But uh, that Jane Foster character, other than the first one, where you know she could be a scientist and she, you know, and and it's an overwhelming experience. But like Dark World was garbage; one of the worst. Yeah, it's not good. Oh, it's God. very, very bad. <laughs> and then she, I don't know if she refused or was just written out of like, I actually like Ragnarok just because it's silly. And then after that, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm just getting caught up in it. But uh, I'm just going to remember V for Vendetta I loved. That's yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. And the comic book is not as good as the movie. But that's just Oh, me. shots fired. Okay. So uh, moving on, Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd was born March 5th, 1989. He'd actually been acting since he was five years old. He had been on four episodes of ER and the films Unhook the Stars and Jingle All the Way before being cast in Star Wars. He also had a bad time as a child actor. His schoolmates would tease him endlessly for his performance. And because it was eventually considered a bad movie, he felt embarrassed and retired from acting in 2002, three years after this. Uh, From IMDb, he enrolled at Columbia College Chicago to study film and psychology, but dropped out in 2008. Later, Lloyd attended comic conventions as a media guest, signing autographs and taking pictures with fans. He also started his own production company called Pumpkin Packed Productions. But before long, Lloyd's mother uh, revealed to TMZ he suffers from schizophrenia, uh, which he was diagnosed back in 2008. And in April 2016, Lloyd was transferred to a psychiatric facility, which apparently he still is at. That's a question mark on my part. I don't see any other updates from that point. So not a pretty dark, super happy uh, ending to, to Jake Lloyd. I, like I was waiting to quip that all of this is George Lucas's fault until it got mm-hmm. actually real. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's dark. Machine? Christ, this yeah. machine, Kyle. Yeah. You're responsible I, 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 for this. This is your fault. I'm fueled by your outrage. I can't believe you built uh, this thing. I don't know. Very, very indirectly, I would say. Um, Dave, why don't you push your button and you can read the next oh, little yeah, bit. That's right. I keep forgetting I have responsibilities now. <clears throat> and you may or may not see some spelling mistakes that I just noticed. <laughs> Liam Neeson. He will find you, George Lucas. Born Jew. Oh, we share the same birthday. I didn't know that. Born June 7th, oh. 1952. Did you share the same birthday with somebody else as well? Haven't we done one with your birthday I already? I don't know, maybe. June 7th, yeah, yo. So. Shout out. His mm-hmm. first film role was in the movie Pilgrim's Progress in 1978. That's the year I was born. Great. Whoa. He would go on to be in such things as Krull, 
the mission and Darkman. Darkman's awesome. But he would jump into the public consciousness with his role of Oscar Schindler in Spielberg's Schindler's List in 1993. He was nominated for Best Actor, the girl in the, the red uh, coat. Fuck. Kyle. Yeah. That's a that's a t- rough movie. Ooh, uh, it's one of those movies though. Like it's great, but it's like I'm not going to be on a Wednesday night. Be like, no, oh, I could go for some Schindler's List right now. That's like uh, Requiem. It's like that. Oh yeah. I walked away. I'm like, holy crap! I amazing. I will never watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he would continue to be in dramatic roles like Rob Ro- Rob Roy. No, that's terrible. <laughs> Rob Roy in a version of Les Misérables in 1998. After Star Wars, he'd be in such things as Gangs of New York, Love Actually, Kinsey, and Batman Begins. Great machine. Yeah. Great. Great. And uh, I have to maybe update its software here. Yeah. Uh, Batman Begins, which is a classic. I have to rewatch that, but I'm pretty sure it holds up. An unfortunate tragedy stuck, struck his family in 2009. His wife, Natasha Richardson, also an actor, had a skiing accident that would eventually kill her. That was in Canada, too. I think that was in Montreal. Heartbroken, he didn't really want to continue acting, but found a career resurgence with the Taken franchise. He would also be in such things as The Grey, I actually like that movie a lot, Run All Night, and Widows. I have not watched those other two. The next film you might see him in is Honest Thief. The plot description is, a bank robber tries to turn himself in because he's falling in love and wants to live an honest life. But when he realizes the feds are more corrupt than him, he must fight back to clear his name. I feel like Liam Neeson specifically, kind of unfortunately, because I think he's actually really great, has basically just been doing Taken for the last 20 years. I remember after, I don't know, Taken 2 or something, he, didn't he make like a public proclamation that he would not do any more action films? Oh yeah, he did. And then, and then continued they, to do them. <laughs> it's about the Benjamin, do they, they don't say that anymore, but it's all about the Benjamins, baby. All about them Bitcoins. <laughs> Crypto, hashtag it. <laughs> Ewan McGregor, oh man, such great actors, Kyle. What the? F- mm-hmm. Born March 31st, 1971. Born in Scotland. Actually, Liam Neeson's Irish, right? Yeah, it uh, doesn't matter. No, Welsh, I think. Oh, is he Welsh? Born in Scotland, he began acting in his early 20s on UK television, but soon he would jump into film with his role in Being Human in 1994. He really hasn't stopped since then. There's a little fanboyness coming out there, but <laughs> train spotting, a version, uh, Aversion Emma. Of Emma, I think is what it means to say. <laughs> Train spotting. Someone should have, someone should have uh, did a quick check before sending this off to you, I think. It's okay. It's okay. <clears throat> it's just a machine. When you least expect it, I will stuff you down a toilet. Train spotting, a version of Emma, and Velvet Goldmine were all films he was in before being cast as Obi Wan. While being in all the prequels, he would also start to come into his own as leading man or co-lead. Such things as Moulin Rouge, Black Hawk Down, Big Fish, and The Island would soon follow. In recent years, he's been local to us here in Calgary, filming the third season on Fargo here. I didn't know that, actually. Last year, he also starred in the little, oh, in the little seen but critically praised movie Dr. Sleep, and apparently he was fun in Birds of Prey. You didn't mention the movie where he shows his giant penis. I do not, though that has happened a couple times. The pillowcase, yes? Yeah, okay. I think pillow something, yeah. Well, you can kind of see it in train spotting too, if you're looking for Ewan McGregor dong. Ewan McGregor's great, though. Uh, up next is The Birthday Cake. He plays Father Kelly in a film that's described as on the 10th anniversary of his father's death, Giovanni. Should I say it like Giovanni? Yeah, Giovanni. Giovanni reluctantly accepts the task of bringing a cake to the home of his uncle, a mob boss, for a celebration. 
Just two hours into the night, Geo's life is forever changed. I like how they suddenly put in Geo as the short form of Giovanni later on in that sentence. That's how you do. That's how we do, yo. This piece of crap, should I say movie? I think think you're inflecting too much of your own personality into that. Fine. This this spectacle was written (laughs) and directed by George Lucas. Born May 14th, 1944. No matter what you think about him, in parentheses, I should say Dave. <laughs> George Lucas has changed filmmaking. Always interested in the intersection of technology and movies, he began making short films in the 60s. His first full-length feature was THX 1138 in 1971. He followed that up with American Graffiti. And then in 1977, he created Star Wars. Many people thought it was going to bomb and be disastrous, but his good friend, Steven Spielberg, made him a bet that he not only thought it was going to be a hit, but a monstrous hit. That sounds like a child, uh, child storybook sort of phrase. In there. By the way, um, no one knows this because you just read this, uh, but the machine also misspelled Steven in Steven Spielberg. It's with a V. I should have, yeah, I should have went Stefan, but no, that's just Stefan Spielberg. (laughs) Um, The stories are legendary, but it's why, as far as Kyle and the Machine know, that Spielberg still gets a small percentage of revenue for Star Wars related material. I think it was something weird. Like he got like, he bet um, George Lucas did not think it was going to make money. Um, I forget exactly what the number was, but it's like uh, Spielberg took the bet and said, if I win, just give me 1% of Whatever revenue happens. or something like that um so that he's made bank on that little deal <laughs> steve be shady dude i remember i think i saw behind the scenes or one of those documentaries like didn't george lucas and his i guess now ex-wife like they they had some principal photography and then they like redid everything by themselves and like built these scale models and reach yeah there's a there's a lot of stories and stuff yes. like that <laughs> to be to be frank his wife who i should actually know her name and unfortunately i've forgotten it right now is actually very instrumental in Star Wars because she was the editor. She did a lot of yeah, um, work on that movie and does not get a lot of credit for making that movie what it is. Gender Wars, man. Mm-hmm. Star Wars solidified. You know, if she had made The Phantom Menace, honestly, it would have been better than this piece of crap. Star Wars solidified blockbuster filmmaking as what the summer months are all about. He pioneered computer-generated effects, started a bunch of companies around that, Lucasfilm, Industrial Light and Magic, THX, Lucas Arts. He understood that merchandise is incredibly important and so has always retained ownership of any merchandise sold. Yeah, that is like the classic one and why I was convinced that no one would ever be able to have uh, enough money to purchase the rights to Star Wars and then Disney grew so big is because he was like, Fox, you can have full ownership of the first Star Wars movie if I get sole custody of all the merchandise and like, who's going to buy toys? And then he made so much bank on that. I remember, I don't know if it was after Phantom Menace, but uh, Mad TV always had, uh, what's his name, playing George Lucas, who would be in his ranch always right. in an Ewok costume. That's <laughs> yeah. that's how I pictured George Lucas. He's also very giving. He allows countless films and TV shows to remix, lampoon, parody, or outright use copyrighted Star Wars properties. He allows them or he takes his cut. We'll No, uh, you can actually, um, a lot of that stuff was done for free. It's like, yeah, go ahead. I don't. You don't need to pay me to, to use this stuff. Okay. You can actually see. Even films he doesn't really like, because there's that one called like Fanboys, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. 
uh, with, um, uh, which is all about them trying to go in and steal the movie Phantom Menace to watch. I don't think I've watched um, it, but that's got Jay. It's fine. It's not great. It's not a great movie. But he actually doesn't even, he says right up, like, I don't really like this movie very much, but they, yeah, go ahead. Hmm. Use what you need. That might be the merchandising thing for him too. Because yeah. anything that brings it up into the public thing. Right. Anyways, okay. Uh, now I'm just hating, straight hating on, on Lucas here. Uh, however, after the original film, and although he still had input for the two sequels, he did not direct them. He did, however, have a story credit on the first Indiana Jones movie and also came up with the story for Willow. He would continue to dabble with some writing projects, but because of a divorce, he, dev- he devoted time with his kids throughout most of the 90s. This uh, was his return as a director and writer. He felt that CGI had gotten to a level he was wrong, that it could be used to tell the story, what story he had thought of. Let's see how it pays off. Uh, All right. I think this is where we need to start here first, Dave. I actually want to know what your backstory of Star Wars in general is. I loved Star Wars. Star Wars uh, merchandising was instrumental in my uh, childhood. I think that and G.I. Joe made up uh, several you know, buckets of figurines that became how I envisioned my life. Low light was my favorite GI Joe, by the way. And, uh, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you know, we had all the different layers and all the different looks, you know, right. And and, like, that was a big thing. Once I got old enough, so I wasn't five, uh, you know, this was a movie that was perennial either on VHS or shown often on TV or something. We were constantly, watching and rewatching it. I think as a kid, Return was my favorite because I had Ewoks. Recently, I've rewatched it. It is not my favorite. But uh, the lasting impact, uh, editing or not, of particularly for me, Empire, these, these in my mind are, uh, are seminal films. And then speaking to my shrink, you know, there's something about Star Wars that's fascinating. Do you, about, do you uh, just bring up Star Wars constantly with your shrink as well? Uh, or? Well, my shrink does. He's a big Star Wars fan. You know, there's something unique... I don't know if this is, you might know better being a, a full generational movie nerd, but there's something about uh, the storytelling in the late seventies, but particularly in star Wars where it's uh, it's a fable. It's a storybook story. There's no cynicism in it. Even with such a cruel bad guy, it's like this heroic, beautiful thing where you leave the theater and you're like, your arms are up and like, they saved the fucking universe. Right. Everybody's <sighs> high-fiving each other. So that's my, that's, that's what star Wars is to me. So this is where I do have a bit of an alternate history with it because star Wars in general was never something that I loved. Like I said, like I had seen star Wars before this movie came out once, like we rented them all and I watched them all in uh, a day. So for the original trilogy, how old? I was a teenager, but I found myself actually somewhat, well, I just don't know if I would have been a teenager. I think it was a few years before this came out. I, was I might ask, have been 12. I, was I might ask, have been 12. Like pre or post goth, goth period for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was pre, it was pre. And I remember honestly like, oh, like some of the parts were awesome and they were fun. And other parts I was like, I'm so bored with what is going on in this movie right now. I don't care. No. So maybe it was me trying to watch all three of them at one time for the very first time. If I had spaced it out, maybe I would have had a different interpretation of it, but I never, it's yeah, it was never my thing. I was into other stuff uh, growing up. So it just was not my bag. So uh, the, the fervor that people have for star Wars, I was trying to grab a hold of, cause it seemed like a lot of my peers even were like super. And I'm like, uh, I guess I should like it too. Uh, to this day, when people talk about like X wings and a wings and like, ATATs and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't really know what any of that stuff is. Like, I don't know what you're referring to. I do. Uh, no, I, I know. <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's interesting. 
years after Helen and I had been together, I found out she had never watched Star Wars. And we actually right. watched her. She watched the first time here in Calgary. So like, wow. like, I think it was four, maybe five years ago. And she was exactly like you. When it, when it was over, she was kind of like, yeah. And that was it's it. Fine. And I was like, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will say this for, for me, as far as like the original trilogy goes, I'm pretty on board with what most people say is like, I like the first one. I think the second one is the best. And then uh, Return of the Jedi, it's fun, but the, uh, the ending is a little bit <laughs> wonky for yeah. me. But And then, you know, I, I, who knows, but the, all the, the fabled backstories of how the third one, you know, was influenced by external, by the dark side of the force. Well, I mean, what I've heard, and it seems almost counterintuitive to what you would imagine, is I think back in the, in like in 83, when that was really being released or in the early 80s, Lucas wanted to continue with more movies and fox said no yeah i I think he meant it to be this serialized thing thing. and then when they said it's kind of like sam raimi and spider-man it was like the studio's like look (laughs) it's played out dude like you get one more and that's why you know the the brother sister storyline all it just got so everything got squeezed together so okay that was the the background of just star wars um star wars episode one the phantom menace let me have it star wars episode one the phantom menace is a terrible movie. It's exhausting. It's racially offensive. Uh, the CGI is terrible. I mean, not just being kind of a dick about it now. I remember in 99 leaving the theater and just going like, why? Why was that? Why was everything CGI and so poor? Like there were video games, I'm pretty sure at that point, that were outdating, like that were just kicking this well, thing's ass. I don't think video games, but because uh, you go back and look at video games in that period and not so much. But again, I know we keep harping on this. But look at the look at the Matrix again. In fact, doing a little research on this, this is the first Star Wars movie not to win an Academy Award for special effects. Good, right? So the Good. original three did, yeah, uh, and this one did not because the Matrix won it. As yeah, and as biased as I am about my opinions about the uh, the Academy, uh, good, they got one thing right. Uh, this movie <laughs> shouldn't win awards. It was awful. The acting was brutal. I, you know, it's hard to watch actors that I like and love uh, suck. I mean, it's not even like Liam and Ewan and Natalie are good in this movie. There's not, there's nothing to work with. Like the, there's just nothing. Yeah, in it. I think there is a reason why, while he did do some of the story and writing on, on episode five and episode six, had like directors and other creative people in this. When he has essentially full creative control, you start to see like, mm, you kind of need the other people in there to be like, no, uh, it actually reminds me. And I don't, I don't know how much uh, I necessarily agree with this like whole cloth, but in general, I think I do. This concept from musical theater, you need someone who different in who's directing it, who's writing it, and who's scoring the music for it. And the reason is because those three creative people hold the other two in check. When someone starts to go weirdly off, it's like, let's pull this back because of these situations or whatever. So you just have a strong creative team that's like communicating and and working with each other. And I feel the same thing with films where hopefully like the producer and the director and the writer can all kind of work together. When those are all the same person, there is literally no one to say, um, maybe we shouldn't do it that way. (laughs) Maybe there's a better, better way we can do this. I mean, the two thoughts I have is I want to find a way that we can reflect even on the movies we've seen, how many of the titles were written and directed by and then whether in the credits they have editors and scripts sort of rewrites and, you know, implied. And then, of course, there's all the politics of whether the names that are written on the uh, title screens actually are involved or not. 
Correct, because there's ghost writers and stuff like that that happen too, right? Because uh, in the original trilogy, actually, even in this film, apparently, um, Carrie Fisher did a punch up of some of the the dialogue just to try and make a little bit of it more funny and stuff. Don't know how much it worked, but, uh, <laughs> but apparently, she did help w- work on it. I, I also kind of had this memory of uh, I think it was Creativity Inc. or one of the uh, which is the one that the Pixar guys are. Anyways, uh, reading some stories about let's say the the birth of Pixar. Um, and you get what you're, you you get stories like that where you know even the famous John Lasseter or whatever you know the mm-hmm. original script of Toy Story Woody's a complete d bag. Um, they have to be open to rewrites and redoing animation and like doing all these things because uh, yeah you had to get out of your own biases. And I I don't remember, but I have a feeling at this stage George Lucas just ran with it, uh, whether mm-hmm. by hubris or just by situation i mean if he's worth or ilm and all this stuff is already huge yeah i mean so many people have talked about this so i'm 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 hoping we can maybe come at it from a different angle but just to like cover our bases i think uh, one of the people that is very renowned and they're like star wars criticism is this outfit called red letter media and they literally made like an hour and a half long video talking about The Phantom Menace and then did ones for the other prequel, sorry, prequels sorry. as uh, well. Talking about what movie? Oh, sorry. Uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So <laughs> they actually start off right at the very beginning because it's like what you just mentioned a few minutes ago from Star Wars A New Hope, back when it wasn't even called A New Hope. But how does that uh, film start? Tiny little ship followed by this huge gigantic empire visually like we get it we understand we understand everything that's going on this film literally starts with trade negotiations and like how boring could you start a science fiction film even if you had a little bit of that i get it like having a little bit of that sprinkled in but it's like the kids that are in the audience who this is made for the old star wars geeks know what they don't care about trade negotiations like they just don't bring that up too when the scrolling uh prologue starts coming up not only is it boring and too long how defensive was the language you could just feel this sense that they're they're kind of like just just let it happen you know like this is an important part of the backstory because this is such a complex and political film so you have to understand that there's you know like nobody gives a shit man like you could skip it just just have weird terrible lobster looking uh i can't remember what like i think they're supposed to be asian asian stereotype they are asian stereotype uh, pretty badly yeah yeah um talking about uh cutting off a planet you don't nobody else you don't need the rest of the i job. still even though i have now watched this film i'm gonna guess five times oh, in God, my Kyle. in my life have some self-respect man i know i have watched star wars episode one the phantom menace at least five times i still don't get the trade block like i don't i physically just don't get what they're doing and how they actually interact with like the the senate, the senate and stuff and i think part of it is like i just don't care about any of that yes. i don't care tell me about planets tell me about people show me people i don't care about what this is going on um however this is what i wanted to try and do in this episode because full disclosure i do not like this movie at all uh however i think i'm probably going to rate it higher than dave is so i am going to be put into the position of maybe slightly defending this um uh, in different ways so i have written down some notes uh, some of these are negative, some of these are positive, but I just want to uh, go through this. So number one, even though I agree with you as far as like the look of the film being not great, uh, I've always said that the prequels look too plastic to me. Like that's what it gives off to me. It's like it looks too plastic. It doesn't look like a, a real movie. I will say this. 
I think the worlds, the design of the worlds, I think are even better than like the the newest Star Wars films that came out here over like the last six years or so. I think that there is a for all the faults you can throw at George Lucas, I think his imagination is actually pretty cool to jump into like oh yeah like there's this underwater world and there's this like world up in the clouds and it's like this is how this works and this is how pod racing is structured i think all of that is actually done good again we just need to focus it and take out the stuff that the work is working really well and they just disregard all the stuff that doesn't matter i'm i'm shocked that you're saying something positive about this movie but i'm just trying to uh, recall mid 90s to 90s sort of science fiction fantasy genres and whether this is him being creative or this was a trope because each world had a specific tone it wasn't like any kind of it wasn't cyberpunk it wasn't this thing where everything's a mishmash he literally has desert planet uh you know beautiful this super urban planet with a sanity i mean it's pretty tropey too right like i mean the trope is like and people say this even for any Star Wars film, it's like there seems to be only three climates in Star Wars, which is it's either desert, jungle, or winter. Um, or winter, mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> those, those are your three climates that you have. And then, yeah, like saying, oh, the underwater world is so cool. I don't understand the underwater world of Naboo. I don't understand. Well, that I also don't get either. But I mean, I'm just saying that the design is kind of interesting to no, take a look at. No, I, I won't give you that. I, I, I am being very bitter about it. I understand mm. what you're saying. And I think the uh, attempt... And the uh, hope that they could build separate planets and in total environments, you know, was ambitious. I, I just I think that the the issue here, there's so many issues in this film, and I don't want to spend the entire time just bashing on it. But there's unlike some other films, um, and I'm trying to remember the last film I said this about. Oh, Idle Hands, I think, is a film that could work if you gave it to the right people. Which is like, get the right tone, fix the central character up a little bit, and you, that movie, I think, would still work. Star, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is actually different in that I don't think it fundamentally works on a script level. I don't think it's plotted well. I don't think a lot of the action even makes sense. Like, what are they trying to do? But there's like elements of these like, little tiny ideas. I'm like, oh, like that is cool and interesting. Why can't we have more of that? And less of the 90% of this other stuff that's going on that is stupid. You know, I, I'm just thinking, like the the one sort of saving grace, even though it's it super cheesy, is the pod race, and I think like it's just. Because, I will actually defend the pod race more vociferously. Yeah, than you, but yes. because it's like they inserted a video game and uh, uh, sort of like a actually it's very derived of anime, sort of like a, a you know high speed action film inside a crap dog turd. Um, but thinking of how derivative he was of Kurosawa and, and some of the other uh, films that draw into Star Wars. The more mm-hmm. I think about the Phantom Menace, and you know, talking about plot holes, and he is not imaginative. These are all pieces he's drawing from the new uh, Japanese sort of uh, influx of science fiction. Uh, even the pod race is something out of an anime. It's like it, it's developed. True enough. As I mean. Can. I mean, it may fit the way they're writing it into this movie. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I'm looking at uh, creativity in a little bit of a different strain. I agree with you. I, I think he's been the first one to admit, like, Kurosawa and, like, um, old serial movies from, like, the 30s and 40s or the, like, the direct inspiration for not just Star Wars, but Indiana Jones and all these other ideas they have. So it's not, like, original ideas, but I do think it's original in the execution of them, of, like, what he's trying to do. Like, no one had tried to do something as 
gigantic or big or as big budget as what Star Wars was originally, like the original Star Wars. So I think that there's a little bit of that, even though the individual elements, maybe not as original as you would think they are. Like talking about writing, I don't, I mean, this, I, I, I don't know how much of the universe uh, had been written by third-party science fiction writers by this point. I, I suspect a lot of the books had come out um, mm -hmm. before this thing existed, but... Um, yeah, I mean, don't even get me on my stupid soapbox where, I'm, I'm sure this is how I sound to other non-Marvel fans, which is um, when people get I'm like, well, in this book series, they they tell you what happened in The Phantom Menace is actually this, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's fine, great, but that's not in the movie, so why do I care about this? Like, it's you're doing these weird retcons that I have to read 17 books to understand what the reference is that they're talking about well that's the thing like the sith mitochlorians like oh, there's all these yeah. ridiculous concepts that are now not only poorly explained but sort of uh assumed you know like i don't i don't remember specifically but i don't think when the emperor is on his uh big pedestal at the end of jedi Return of the Jedi, he's talking about mitochlorians and the Sith. He's just the emperor. He's just this cruel depiction of, you know, evil. And now we're supposed to understand that A, he's immortal, uh, apparently, and yeah. uh, B, that uh, the Force isn't this beautiful magical aura. It's like bacteria, you know? Yeah. And that you can measure it with a thing. clicker. Like, this is also, I think, my overall displeasure of most prequels, which is like, I don't need you to explain everything. In fact, it makes it worse if you do try to explain everything. Star Wars at its best is really just a very basic good and bad <laughs> storyline. Right. And yes, that's reductive and like not necessarily like uh, true of like a lot of real world situations. But it's like this is entertainment. It's popcorn entertainment. And it's great popcorn entertainment when it leans into that, that aesthetic. Escapism. So like, just keep it like. There's a bad guy who can't breathe, and there's a good guy who has a lightsaber. That's all I need. Man That's versus the machine, right? Like it's just yeah, exactly. He will rise up and win. It's Whoa, so simple. Okay, like feedback over here. <laughs> um, uh, I just want to push back on another, another thing you said, which I really started to notice in this one, which is like I, I grant agree that the effects are dated, hundred percent. They look not great. But then again, when you go back to the original trilogy, like Yoda does not look great either. Like you can tell it's a guy with a puppet that's talking. But that's, the entire time. <laughs> but that's, you know what's believable about it is that in that era, everything that had a, a Henson company uh, yeah. thing, it's still a practical effect. And so you can still, I as a kid anyways, see that and just be like, that is what a Yoda is. Like, I don't have to sure. think about it. I mean, I, you know, as kids, you watch The Muppet Show, you watch Sesame Street, you don't have to break that wall and say well that's just a tall dude with a fucking hand up you know you're just like that's big bird you know like i, I guess that's true i mean it's like the people who uh the actors now who guest star on sesame street and they're like literally talking to elmo I'm like wait a second the guy is like right there yeah i'm still talking i think <laughs> to elmo as if it's a real person that's the thing I, I think the more offensive thing in the later films is when they use computers to make yoda into a ninja or they right. change, no, I agree. you know, like uh, the sword fighting away from. Uh, speaking of Ghost Dog, uh, I think last week the fighting all that all that time ago last week the sword fighting in uh, in the first three movies is based on these very simple uh, either Japanese or like old English sort of you know broadsword fighting, whereas he's so derivative. By the time the nineties are out and all of the sort of you know uh, fanciful kung fu type of theatrical fighting 
occurs like it's mm. it's, it's it's shit kyle it's no i agree i'm not trying to defend episode <laughs> three at all i'm just saying um because to, to your point jar jar is awful oh. like straight up awful like every time i watch this i somehow lull myself into a false memory every time i'm like Jar Jar probably isn't as bad as everyone remembers and then he's worse like every single time it's like no he's actually worse than what you remember he's just so bad and I'm not even blaming the actor because he was told to do exactly what he does what? in the, in this movie but it's like everything about him the voice the mannerisms the design everything about it is just not good Stupid anyways that's a small rant. I you know I, I read I think this is the common theory that in the original thought process, the Jar Jar character was supposed to become some general and, you know, like, yeah, be part of thing. I don't know what the decision making or where it breaks down. He became, you know, a racial comedic lampoon fucking offensive. I don't know. Like, I mean, I think he was supposed to, like, in just in the original Star Wars trilogy, there's like the theory. It's not even a theory. It's like it's basically being told from the droid's perspective right. for most it's of it. Like it's them fortress. coming into the story yeah. and, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm what, like, I think that was kind of the entry point. It's like it's this side character who's actually going to be woven through these first three prequel films. And then there is such a revolt against that character that they just dropped him. And he only appears for like three seconds in like a later film. Oh, it's, uh, it's awful. So um, to go back to the pod race though for a little bit, I actually really like it. And the, and the big reason I do like it actually is I do find it thrilling. I think it's... Uh, and I think it's actually the only thing that I will say is well shot in the entire movie. Because even if you compare this to a film series that I normally like, like the Fast and the Furious films, outside of like maybe a Fast Five, I've never been a huge fan of how they actually shoot the car action sequences. And actually, this is a, a general problem I have with a lot of modern day filmmaking action sequences, which is like, Two seconds, three seconds, half a second, and they just keep bouncing the camera around to be more visceral, like, I guess. Jump and like, cut and you're shaky supposed to cam. feel like, Ugh. yeah. And this is like, it's classically filmed. I know where everything is. I have a sense of place. I know exactly where Anakin is every second of that race. So it's so well paced and shot. To criticize the movie that isn't for a minute, I wish that this is how the actually movie opened. Yes. Cut out everything up until that point. And like, this is our entry point into the movie pod race. Okay, it's this kid who has four sensibilities these uh, jedi knights are here get rid of everything else and like this is where we start and go because the other big thing that i wrote down there's like one great line in this entire movie and here's the one great line that happens and it's the interplay that yoda has with anakin when they actually bring him to get get tested so i actually wrote it down and rewound it because i was like oh there's actually something good in this movie so yoda says afraid to lose her i think hmm and then anakin says what has that got to do with anything? They're talking about his mother, by the way, right? It's like there's, there's this fear inside of him uh, that's making him stray. So it's like, you're afraid to lose her. And he's like, what does that have to do with anything? And he says, everything. Fear is the path of the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. That is literally the theme of your movie that you should be working at. Well, that, that everything should be built around. Exactly. But that's never really referenced again. No, and not only again, but and not to bag on the kid as an actor, but you don't get that fear at all no. until they say it explicitly. And then it's gone again because it's not like this is the derivative part that is probably taken out of a poem either from the Tao or one of these Asian scriptures. Sure, yeah, right? probably. Yeah. Uh, it's this beautiful spiritual sentiment and reflection about the human condition. And it's thrown at Yoda because Yoda's this great uh, conduit for wisdom. And it's not in the plot. Like his interactions with the mother with the one weird scene where he runs back, hugs her, and then he just fucks off into space. It's like, 
it, you, you don't feel a connection there. I remember like leading into um, the interchange of Ed the Weird interchange with Liam Neeson and the mom and the mom being like German and I, I don't know what was going well, on. Well, not such to a say, mess. did you notice what she actually says in in that about the father? That I never really picked up on before. Like other than, I mean, well, other than the Jesus storyline that uh, that there was he's no immaculately concepted. Yeah, there yeah. was no father, and yeah. she just got pregnant. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like I somehow have never noticed that she said those words before. I'm oh, like, God. that is bonkers, crazy that you included it in this movie. It's like Matrix Two, man. Like it's it, yeah. you just get into this mess, and like you know what, Anakin's gonna be the savior. Let him be Jesus. You know, here's but then Mary. dark Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just so cynical. I, stupid and then the d- explanation with Kwai Jung and he's like he was conceived by the midichlorian force itself You're like no yeah, that's the like, stupidest thing up. ever shut up yeah, like, just so up. dumb Ugh. again another hill I die on is I don't understand why the droids are there in the first place but anyways that's I'm not gonna bang on that drum um, the other interesting thing I just have to say how different the summer of 1999 is versus what the summer of 2019 was. Of course, it's going to be different here, summer 2020, because no movies were coming out. But can I just read to you a list here? Yes. I did a very quick research. And if anyone wants to check my math, we often talk about how Hollywood runs out of ideas and it's only just sequels, prequels, reimaginings, reboots, the whole thing, right? So these are the movies that I would say fit that category in 1999. Okay. So we had The Mummy which we talked about already. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, but then we have Tarzan, Muppets from Space, The Thomas Crown Affair, uh, and Universal Soldier of the Return. Okay, so about six films. I can't believe you threw Universal Soldier in there just to make a point, but keep going, yeah. Well, it's like six, it's a sequel. I know, so. but it, that's not, it's not a, in I the know. list. Okay, keep moving, keep going. Here's 2019. Detective Pikachu, John Wick 3, Aladdin, Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters, Dark Phoenix, Secret Life of Pets 2, Men in Black International, Shaft, Toy Story 4, Child's Play, Annabelle Comes Home, Spider-Man Far From Home, Escape Plan, The Extractors, Lion King, Hobbs and Shaw, Angry Birds 2, and Angel Has Fallen. So what a very different time frame we are now currently in where basically every weekend of summer has one or two that are basically something a continuation. <laughs> that is a continuation that's a franchise or something that the the studios are hoping for i'm not really trying to make any major point because again there's always been sequels and stuff in hollywood but no, it seems aggressively more so we should make a quick major point of this uh, you know in light again of the ghost dog a conversation the that american, was last week the, it was last week we had that conversation the american uh film industry does not know how to say no they don't know how to end (laughs) on a high note and i don't know i mean my cynical anti-capitalist thing is that it's all uh derived out of money but oh sure yeah um, but i mean the whole i mean every the whole film industry is derived out of money like yeah but even original ideas are derived out of money it used to i think and in its inception uh, be about storytelling you know whether derivative or not that's a nice thought to have Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well maybe originally more about the uh the uh, uh carnivalesque idea of a moving picture yeah. but then you know you get storytelling and then you get kind of screenwriting and this idea that you know like that sylvester stallone could win an academy award writing a movie <laughs> about a boxer i mean that's that's a right. golden age right that is true. And, that is true. And now, I don't know, man. Like, there are. Still- are you saying that I should put away my spec script for Breakfast Club 2, The Return? <laughs> uh, you should produce it if you're going to star in it. I think uh, yeah. you could be older Judd Nelson. Anyways, uh, yeah. I mean, this, who knows? Maybe 
Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was the beginning of the end. I think as soon as people saw like four hundred million dollars. Well, yeah, exactly. The grip of nostalgia is so much on people. Yeah. To be honest with you, Star Wars was probably the instigator a little bit of this, but it's definitely once Marvel got their thing rolling, I think that's really what fell us off the cliff, <laughs> which is like, hey, there's money in franchising if we can get it so that people want to see everyone. Fast and the Furious now does it. Like every film is trying to be one of those things where it's like, let's just keep pumping them out every couple of years and hopefully people don't get tired of it. You know, I, the only thing I would argue about that is knowing, for example, how often Marvel tried to make a good single good movie without a franchise and either had some success or just utterly failed. And even Iron Man coming to fruition without a hope of anything. And when you rewatch it, you realize <laughs> yeah, like, the, there's no, no bigger picture. They just got lucky. And when I used to own that uh, digital video disc and John Favreau's in interviews, like, you know, most of the last third is cutting room shit because it, the way we shot it was so bad. He's <laughs> like, we had to rework and reshoot. Uh, and it turned into this incredible movie just by the magic of rewrites and screen and editing and all that kind of things. Like mm-hmm. we bring up with Star Wars uh, episodes uh, f- f- four, but Star Wars, real Star Wars, how much of a crucial role his now ex-wife should have been credited for, either directly or at least in collaboration for uh, tying these things together. So I don't know if Marvel... I think Marvel, if anything, is showing that a franchise actually can work. But, you know, Fast, the Fast and Furious was a franchise before Marvel existed, uh, not a True. successful one. And it's only after Fast Five, one of the greatest movies ever created uh, by humans, that they got to run with it. But I don't know if that was after MCU was created, actually. I don't remember when Fast mm-hmm. Five came out. That movie's pretty old. By the way, because we keep mentioning her, uh, Marsha Lucas. Ah. Uh, although Marsha Griffin, I think, is probably what she goes by now just according to her wikipedia page so uh, um, she also worked on the early martin scorsese movies by the way as the editor see like there's the talent i said it I said actually it. most movies at least from up until like the 80s that are considered classics most of them were edited by women just fun little fact i and i've brought this up before but when a male director, heterosexual male director and a heterosexual male writer are invi- involved together you can tell it's right like and sometimes it'll work for male plot action movies but christ anytime you have any dialogue or any kind of need for empathetic or emotive uh, characterizations it's it's scary dude positives um they had lightsabers okay great i I was gonna say like can you say one nice thing about this movie um no if you want to talk about conceptual things like, you know, the idea of hiding an empress with her handmaidens, it's derivative. But I thought that could have been done in a cool way. By the way, the like who her double is. Do you know who her double is? Is it Anna Paquin? No, it's Kira Knightley. Oh, it's Kira Knightley. Isn't Anna Kira Knightley? Who, by the way, and I should have checked this on the Disney Plus version and I forgot to. It's a little fun fact on the DVD and actually in the original movie uh, episode one was released. Uh, sorry, Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace. Uh, her name is actually misspelled in the credits. Perfect. So they put the I first instead of the E first in her name. So which I think is, is kind of hilarious. When does Pirates come out? Like a couple years. Two after? years later or something. Three years. Three or four years after this. Yeah, yeah. she's gonna grow up a bit. They all look like even Natalie Portman looks like a baby in this movie. It's hard I know, to, like it's super hard to gauge. young, right? Yeah. Like, 
Like you she, well, she would have been 17. Like she would have been late teenager. That's doing the thing, this movie, right? It's so. hard to remember. I said early 11 is 21 years ago. And yeah, like Ewan McGregor is still like so youthful and childish. You know, he's like a baby too. Yeah. He's, yeah, you know, like I love Ian McGregor, but he's he's like me. We we age. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, you definitely, 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 definitely do, Dave. Um, you you age. Uh, so last question here, because uh, the machine I can see is getting impatient. I mean, I ask this all the time, but do you think this is still culturally relevant? Then no, only for its offensiveness. I think, like you know, I still think like, like it's it's. People can still reference it and mock it if they want to, but I think still people talk about this movie still. Oh yeah, it it's this thing about punching bags though. Like it it will always be remembered. It'll be our Ishtar. You you know what's interesting is uh, I have no recollection of the next two, aside from mm. um, Yoda doing backflips and me getting like wanting to throw shit at a screen. I remember the fan. I, I remember Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I do, and watching mm. through and suffering in agony through the two and a half hours of this garbage. I remember it, you know, even in, in its end, I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to happen. I couldn't tell you a single thing about the next two. So, th- so it holds up in its uh, almost par- parody nature. Like it exists as long as Star Wars is going to be something, Star Wars episode one, the Phantom Menace uh, will have some cultural reference, but it should never have been made. Well, it should never have been made. So I guess we're square. Uh, all right. Well, the uh, machine has asked us to wrap it up here. So let's get into some trivia for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So uh, during filming, Ewan McGregor made lightsaber noises as he dueled. George Lucas explained many times that this would be added in by the special effects people later on. And Ewan said, I kept getting carried away. So a little bit adorable. you in there. I would I would have done yeah. that too. Zoom, zoom. Sets were built only as high as the tops of the actors' heads, and computer graphics filled in the rest. Ugh, Liam Neeson was so tall that he cost the crew and set an extra $150,000, just so they could build it a little bit higher. I saw something recently, maybe it was for the Avengers, that ILM now does, instead of green screen, they have a panoramic LEDs, and they actually have background visual movies that are being captured mm-hmm. by the camera. Uh, this movie did not. It looked no ridiculous. There, you, the the technology is getting more and more. Um, as I understand it, I mean not for every single film, but the, uh, definitely the Marvel films have been testing this out of like actually having like on location, even on a set or something like that. And then yeah, you're in your like your little thing with the ping pong balls and stuff around you, but they can like in real time see how it's all going to look like as they're filming it at the same time. So they can like catch mistakes or do things that the animators, when they take it, it's easier for them to like make everything work hundred percent. So a lot more of it is not just doing like green screen, look at a tennis ball. Like this film wasn't a lot of it, which is like none of this was filmed on location anywhere or yeah. very little of it. And it's unfair to put it that way. I mean, you can definitely, even in the MCU universe, you can see how it gets better as you get into the newer movies, but... Quote-unquote better, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave, you have some uh, trivia here that the machine is sending over. And this is speaking to what we're talking about on the on the thing that uh, I don't think people really understand. During the first week of the f- first trailer's release, many theaters reported up to 75% of their audiences paying full price for a movie and then walking out after the trailer was shown. And I like that's how big I remember that it's crazy. That's uh, that's a thing that you don't really see anymore. People getting excited for the launch of a trailer. Oh man, we didn't even talk about Darth Maul. Anyways, well, 
we don't need to. He's a nothing character, and he should be. He should not have been killed off. But anyways, that's it's a another weird, yeah. rant I can go on. Darth Maul's such a actually, weird. The, I think the reason is is because honestly, the, the biggest criticism I actually wrote down that I actually noticed this time is like I don't know what this movie is actually ultimately trying to be about. Right? Is it about the trade blockade? Is it about a, a kid finding his way? Uh, is it about a master and their students? Uh, overcoming the odds because it's all of those films trying to be it at the same time and Darth Maul cool design cool lightsaber there's a dual lightsaber nothing happens out of it there's literally no not, well I guess Qui-Gon dies so I can't just brush that under the rug but at the same time it's like you introduce this character and he's on, in, instantly done away with you, you know what Darth Maul was uh, who is the Phantom Menace then Dave that's what I'm trying to ask who is the Phantom Menace yeah two points there's no Phantom Menace Unless metaphorically they're talking about the dark side of the force of the Sith, but eh, fuck off. They weren't. And uh, Darth Maul, you know what he is? He's merchandising. He was designed to yeah, be a toy, no. right? Which is actually even more blatant, I find, in some of the newer series, which is like, oh, that vehicle, that was made to sell toys. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> Anyways, Anyways, yeah. Who, how, who could not be cynical growing up in the 90s, Kyle? <laughs> we, we lost so much <laughs> joy. True. We lost so much joy. Uh Darth Maul only speaks a total of three lines, poor Ray Parke, three lines spending almost all of his screen time either listening, walking, standing quietly, or fighting. Interesting is that? Interesting is that. (laughs) Interesting is that. What's interesting about that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) An interesting fact is that, no, I I mean, the... Hold on a second. Uh, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm trying to make sense of the way this, how about interestingly, yeah, Maul, oh, interestingly, yeah. Darth Maul actually has a very memorable, intense monologue about fear that was used in TV spots, but never actually made it into the final movie. Furthermore, Peter Serafinovich, oh yeah. Peter Serafinovich was, has stated in an interview that he actually recorded much more dialogue from Maul that never ended up in the film. Is this, the, like, is this around the beginning of the era where trailers used B-roll? And like, that happens I don't way know. too like, often I don't, now. I'd love to know when that started because it actually happens more and more now. Actually much more now to throw people off of like having things in trailers that don't actually ever appear in the movie. Uh, the latest Avengers movies are, are very guilty of this of like literally having entire scenes that never show up in the movie <laughs> i think uh, but yes i don't know when exactly that started i think what's interesting is this goes back to what we were talking about fear seemed to be what they were trying to drive at and then never really fully committed to to being the theme of this movie uh, just on a quick point how great could this movie have been if the whole thing each of the characters almost slipped to the dark side because they were scared mm-hmm. of something yeah, I mean, there's there's place, things to play around with here. If the original trilogy is all about watching someone slip into the the light, uh, having someone slip into the dark, which is what this prequel series is supposed to be about, is an interesting thing to go. So seeing everyone almost get to that way and then breaking away from it and one succumbing to it is an interesting thing to play around with. But that's not what happens. No. So who cares? Uh, Dave, we have to rate this movie. And uh, you can find this by going to our letterbox page. That's letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. KDVSTM, of course, is also our handle on both Twitter and Instagram. So, Dave, I have a feeling I know, but uh, what are you going to rate this movie? I don't know. I, <laughs> so I'm the, broken inside. Yeah, like the gut punch is a 0.5, but I think that there are 
little nostalgic throwbacks plus the pod race is is give me, one give me a number. is one vindictive? No, I'm gonna go with no, a one. If that's yeah, what you feel, let's do a one. I'm giving it a two. Oh, is God, what I'm God. gonna give it because I there is again things that I happen to like. Shifts more self respect. However, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> however, that does mean even with my grandiose two that I just gave this film, that's entering in our list at the number 18 position on our list. So if you want to see that full list, then you can definitely go and check out our letterbox page. Let's check out what we're going to be reviewing next week, Dave. Let me just push this button here. Oh, something on the same scale as Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. We're going to watch Nodding Hill next week, Dave. Come on. Yeah. Let's have let's have a sit down with the machine and start looking at looking at what the god damn it is that Hugh Grant and Julia I Roberts? I think it is and, Ju- and Julia Roberts. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever watched that movie, but I know that. So that now I know. your wife will have a fun time sitting in with us next week. I'm going to give Helen more credit than that, and we'll see. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so but, I guess you can continue watching your christmas special i don't know i don't know if you want to chase this movie with that to be honest are there going to be ewoks in santa hats in this i actually have never seen it uh if that's going to be the case i'll keep my eyes open 